Welcome to the Alaska Realtor Livestream. My name is Jamin Gerker. I'm an associate broker here in the state of Alaska. And today I'm going to be joined by Amanda Jensen, who is a, a mortgage broker here in, in the state of Alaska to answer all the questions you guys have about getting a loan up here in Alaska and what all that looks like. And I'm sure as you guys are um, kind of realizing now, this is the very first time that we're having a live stream where we're actually, you know, in the same room. So we're kind of working through all the all the technical aspects of it. So be patient with us throughout here. Um, but yeah, Amanda, thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jamin. Hey. This is exciting. Yeah, this is, a, this is definitely going to be a first. Um, real quick, just as always, um, if you guys are, are hopping on here, live streams are only as good as the questions that we have coming in here. So by all means, don't be shy. I'm going to be in the comments section as we're as we're going through here so make sure you ask your questions we have the, the expert in the house today to actually talk about this stuff and this is coming from someone who's actually in the industry and it's not just you know your uh, uncle larry's opinion this is what's <laughs> actually happening so um amanda again thank you very much for joining us and uh real quick let's go ahead and get you um kind of introduce you to folks so let's go ahead and start with our first question here, and that is, um, how long have you lived in Alaska? Because the last time we talked, I think you said you were a, um, a life longer. Is that correct? It is correct. So as far as I can have a memory, I, I've lived in Alaska. I grew up in Anchorage, um, and I traveled out to the Matanuska Valley, and I, I bought homes in the Matanuska Valley, bought my first home in Palmer, actually. I um, was 27 years old. It was pretty amazing. And um, <laughs> and when uh, when was that? When I moved out to the Valley? Yeah. In 2010. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. So I fell in love with the Valley um, pretty quickly, just being able to have the flexibility to get on your snow machine and ride a, or your side-by-side -side and ride four-wheelers, just being close to, you know, the butte hiking. I love running outside. So there was just so much of everything that I liked to do. Um, I couldn't imagine living in Anchorage after I moved out in the valley. So, you know, that's that's really the thing that's tough once you've lived out in the valley. Like you get very accustomed to everybody gets at least an acre. And yeah. yeah you obviously you're going to be getting some wind and all that too but i mean also you're gonna have a ton of space a lot more freedom and everything like i tell people i had an airbnb accident i ended up moving out here <laughs> last spring i'm in wasilla now and i mean it, it's great you know i loved it and all that and um but yeah it was totally a fluke i got out here but went back to eagle river just a little bit ago to house it for some people and I was like, oh, man, like everyone is like right on top of each other. <laughs> it's so true. It was like I'm it just that quickly. My standard of living just completely got readjusted. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You get a little bit spoiled. <laughs> you do just a little bit. So what are some things that they really do like about Alaska, though? Um, we were just talking a little bit before this. Uh, I would definitely say boating. I love being out in the ocean. Whittier is my favorite spot to go out of. Um, and it's just surreal. You're out, there's so many different coves out in Whittier where I feel like we don't have to share a spot um, with somebody else and um, you're just, you lose service and that's always great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, but just seeing all the ocean life and animals and the wildlife out there, and there's so many amazing hiking trails that you can adventure. And I always imagine like I'm the first person ever that that has walked these, you know, <laughs> these steps and um, and the land, and it's absolutely gorgeous. So I would definitely say boating is top for me. Yep, and absolutely. And by the way, everybody, um, she is selling her boat. So yeah. if you guys are interested, like jump in the yes. DMs and we'll uh, we'll get you hooked up. <laughs> Not, yeah, we're getting a bigger boat. So. <laughs> oh, nice. You guys are getting like a full-on yacht now, huh? <laughs> it is a yacht. It is a yacht. Well, our family is growing and with older kids, this is a perfect boat for somebody who has smaller family uh, or smaller kids, I should say. Gotcha. Um, but yeah. Perfect. All right. So let's let's jump into the into the juicy stuff here. So we've had a lot of doomsday headlines lately. Um, yeah. It seems like every other day some news outlets have some new reason why we should be terrified about this happening, that happening. We can't answer all the world's problems tonight, but there have been a couple of headlines talking about um, uh, real estate and mortgage rates lately. So mm -hmm. I'll let you go ahead and talk a bit about those. Yeah. And for a lot of people that are, I mean, when you are opening, there's, you can probably just see a ton of different memes out there where it's, um, you know, May 1st, May 1st, the world's coming to an end. You have good credit. You're going to get a bad interest rate. Um, people with low credit are going to get the best interest rate ever. And so, um, you know, when in hindsight of that, to, to put some, um, you know, truth in what's really happening. Um, the loan level pricing adjustments or LLPAs, depending on how you look it up, um, those actually came out like mid-February. So th the way that it works, it wasn't May 1st, all of this stuff was going to get, you know, implemented. Okay. Um, so what's, um, what's an LLPA? So loan level pricing adjustment. And what those are is it goes into the makeup of an interest rate. And Okay. So real quick, um, just, just for everybody then. Yep. So an interest rate is not just uh, one size fits all. This is like what it is. It's actually a accumulation of a bunch of different variables. Very like over 20, but just to name a few, you're looking at your credit score. Um, you're looking at loan to value. So how much you're putting down, you're looking at occupancy, you know, are you buying this as a, you know, owner occupier, are you buying it as investment, are you buying it as a second home? Um, you know, is it a duplex? Is it a fourplex? Is it a condo? Um, so there, so there is no the interest rate. Correct. That everyone talks about. Yep. Okay. <laughs> so just, just wanted to, wanted to be clear on that real quick. Okay. So LLPA and what's an example of some LLPAs? Um, so a lot of them are kind of what I just said. Um, you're going to see some loan level pricing adjustments for people that have investment properties, um, second homes, um, somebody who's looking at, um, you know, a single family residence or up to a fourplex. And keep in mind when we're talking about these loan level pricing adjustments, these are for conventional loans. So these aren't for your government loan programs such as VA, FHA, USDA. Um, so when I'm talking about these loan level pricing adjustments, it's for conventional loans only. Um, and when they implemented the change and then the news caught wind of it, it was kind of hyped up like the news likes to do, um, that May 1st, everything kind of was going to come to a halt for people that have, you know, taken care of their credit and made payments on time. Right. But did those, did that specific, so kind of the, the headlines were that, everyone that's been really on top of it, you've got good credit and you know, you've 
paid your dues, you did what you needed to do. Like the headlines is that now you're going to be paying like 50 or, you know, however much a month to subsidize those that are, you know, not as qualified as you. So is that in reality, what happened? Is that the full picture or is that just it's, kind of a, a warped version? It's of very it? warped. Okay. And so um, I know I did give you a couple slides to put on. Um, the first one that, um, not that one, yeah. So the first one is gonna be basically, these were the actual changes within the loan level pricing adjustments. And you're gonna see the red kind of targeted around people, you know, with that credit score of, the the 779 down to like the six six or is that 680 excuse me 680 range and those what is showing is basically um where the pricing was hit the hardest and then given credit in the green areas to people with you know lower credit scores um now this when you first look at it is shocking right it's it's upsetting to a lot of people they're like how could you do this i've been paying my bills on time um so what they're trying to do is give the person that has that lower credit score an opportunity and so when you look at the loan level pricing adjustments once the dust has settled and that was that other chart um that shows you people so don't go out and just tank your credit you guys yeah <laughs> um this shows you that people with those lower credit scores are still getting high loan level pricing adjustments, right? That is brutal. It is. And people with really good credit, they're still getting a really good deal. Yeah, there might be some um, pricing adjustments in there built into their rates, um, again, for conventional loans only, but you can take a peek there and see, okay, yeah, they're kind of subsidizing a little bit from those taking it and just trying to offset people with lower credit scores. Um, a little bit more because you can see they're still getting hit pretty hard. Um, so what does this mean? And when I look at this chart, I see opportunity, right? There's going to be opportunity in anything that we're doing. And if, in those charts that you had pulled up, you're going to see a lot of those um, loan level pricing adjustments are for people that have are looking to put 15 or 20 percent down. Um, and in, in what happens when you do that, you're taking away those investor security blanket. That's they're no longer going to get that, you know, mortgage insurance or they're not going to have that mortgage insurance for very long. Right. Um, so then they want to put, you know, some loan level pricing adjustments on there to kind of um, help on their end. However, um, when you looked at that chart, it might just mean coming up with a smaller down payment. You saw that they were actually getting a better deal. Right. So it sounds like really what the what this was designed to do was to discourage investing. You know, it kind of sounds like what they're trying to do. Um, discourage investing, maybe second homes. Um, is that so these are also for you know people buying on just single family residence right. that they're gonna own or occupy. Right. Um, so a lot of it, you know, when you look at that chart, if if somebody's looking at um, putting 20% down. Yeah. If you want to pull that one back up, if you look at somebody who's trying to put 20% down and say they've had, they're in that bracket of 740 to 759, they might, they're, they're better off putting 5% down. Mm. You know, even when you see that sweet spot of, you know, that 15 to 20%, they're actually better off putting less of a down payment. Um, and maybe they have the 15 or 20%. And that's totally fine. Or if they have higher of a down payment, um, that's that's a win for them as well. You can see that the pricing gets better. 
Yeah, so one thing you kind of mentioned before too, that's an option that um, I don't think a whole lot of people realize is put down like maybe this, if you're trying to play the game here, if mm -hmm. that's that's something that's that's super important to you, maybe go and like do that 5% down. And if you have the 20% to put down, I mean, maybe just do that 5% up front, get the kickstart the thing and then later on drop that extra 15% after the fact. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, you can wait six months um, and you can do what's called a principal reduction payment recast. Um, and then that way you still get the, the interest rate that you locked in at. Um, but then putting that chunk of money that you already had, you know, later on. Right. So it's not affecting your rate at the beginning. Um, or if you have a larger chunk, you could see that you would, you would have, you know, a lot of the loan level pricing adjustments. Now, um, one of the other good things that did just recently come out because there was um, a lot of controversy is that they finally got away from any sort of loan level pricing adjustment for somebody who's making a 40 per, uh, you know, over 40% down payment. So, right. um, that's, I mean, if you, not everybody has that and that's okay. 40% down. Yeah. yeah. Um, so if you have, if you're like, man, I have that 20%, I really want it to go to my mortgage. Um, then that's, those are options. It's just a matter, a matter of, you know, coming up with a strategy that suits that person's needs. Gotcha. Okay. So, so I guess what would be the, the big takeaway for you then, if you are kind of looking at this landscape and, and, trying to like counsel people, what would kind of be the, the counsel you would give them? Well, it just depends on their situation, right? Everybody's different. Um, you know, it's still a really good time to buy. And a lot of people, I think they get stuck on certain things. Well, it's what's pumped out into the media as well, um, where we get a little bit focused on that. And it's just trying to find the opportunity that meets everybody's individual needs. So just coming up with those strategies um, and saying, okay, well, you want to put this amount down. Well, if we look at it this way, you know, um, we're able to come up with different solutions and ideas. Right, right. No. And maybe just different ways that they haven't thought of. Yeah, no, that's that's absolutely true. So one other graph I did just want to share with everybody, because I know this is something where, I mean, the headlines make it sound like, this is the very first time we've ever seen an increase in interest rates, like yes. <laughs> guessing by what you would yeah. assume just by hearing all the headlines. But this is the 30, this is the 30 year mortgage rate average going all the way back to the early seventies. Mm -hmm. And it shows you, Hey, the average is actually about 7.75. Yeah. And it has, it has been a while since we've been really anywhere close to that average. You know, we had the, we had the collapse back in uh, back in 2000, yeah, 2008, 2009. I mean, that brought the interest rates down and we've kind of gotten really spoiled the past couple of years with like the interest rates and what you could get. Mm -hmm. Like I locked in my first property at like a 2.72. <laughs> so it's yeah. like, I'm probably never yeah. going to see that again. No. <laughs> like, so, probably yeah. not. Yeah, just take a picture of it, put it in the frame. Yeah, exactly. Kids one day. Um, yeah, I would say, you know, when when we when we look at those graphs, I mean it is it's nice to see because if you talk to anybody, your grandparents or parents, normally they're gonna tell you also, um, they they've never even seen rates come that close. Um so I mean rates where they are right now, it is it's not it's not scary and it's good to see that we are still under the average. Um and knowing that they're anticipating, you know, later in 
the end of this year going into 2024 for rates to come down. So people are going to be in a position to refinance too. Mm, got so. It. so here's the, I mean, I'm sure this is a question some people are, are interested in now. If there's talk of the interest rates coming down, would it behoove people to wait until the interest rates come down or, or jump on now and refinance or do something else? That is a question I do get often. Okay. Um, and it's one of my favorite ones. So, <laughs> I mean, you have to look at it both ways, right? If you're in a, in a low inventory market that we're in right now, there are already people that are in multiple offer situations and they're, you know, they're struggling to just nail down a house in the, in the environment that we're in right now. And so for people that say, oh, I'm going to sit on the fence and just wait until those rates come down and inventory doesn't tick up, where do you think that's going to put you? Do you think that you're going to be struggling to now? I mean, if you're struggling now to kind of land on a home, do you think you're going to be struggling more then? Um, because there's going to be an influx of more people looking to purchase because the rates are come down and you're not the only one that's saying, I'm going to wait until rates come down. So now you're going to be battling so many more people for that same house. Whereas um, you know, there's that phrase out there that's going around, you're going to want to marry the home and date the, the date, the rate. And, and that's the reason for it. Well, you purchase your house now and get in the home now, when it comes time to refinancing and there's everybody else battling for that house, you already have the house. You're just refinancing. It's easy breezy for you. Yeah. I mean, I'll also say, um, I mean, it's not necessarily like an easy walk in the park right now, either just kind of depending mm -hmm. on the on the price range, yeah. but it is nowhere near as competitive as it was a couple of years ago. Because yes. I can't imagine how many pre-qualification letters oh, yeah. <laughs> you generated. Yes, <laughs> and for multiple people in the same house, I'd be like, oh, oh no, <laughs> <laughs> that's painful. Yeah, so I, I only had that happen once where I had okay. like, yeah, I had like two buyers wanted the same house and <laughs> it was conflicting. Yeah, we did everything the right way and everyone walked away happy, but okay. yeah. Nope, don't really see that ever happening. But that's just to say how few options we had at the time. And uh, I mean, the thing is, what's really constricting the market right now, and I'm sure you're very aware of this, is we just have all the households in the US now have interest rates of like below 4% or like 4%, yeah. like right there in that range. So at this point, even if it comes down to like 5%, still a lot of those homeowners that usually would have moved they're not going anywhere they're like man i'm not i'm not leaving this four percent interest house to go fight for something at like a six percent or 5.5 or something like that so we're seeing a lot of those folks decide not to move they normally would but they're deciding to to not move at this point and that creates that shortage which then creates a lot of competition around the houses that are currently there yeah so yeah yeah. I would say, you know, in in connection with that too, um, people that are are maybe having to get a home because they they need to move up or downsize. Um, how much equity are they going to make in that home, where it might make sense for that move and getting that higher interest, you know, rate house that's going to better suit their needs because they might have built, you know, or have a lot of equity with the way that homes have been appreciating to actually put that towards the new home and still be in a similar boat. Um, so it's just a matter of maybe taking that fear out for them and showing them the actual numbers. 
And I'm glad that you mentioned that. So um, another benefit you get of locking the property in is then you get the ability to ride that appreciation as it's going up, mm-hmm. which I mean, it's debatable if we can call it appreciation or not, because we live in, in a time of inflation and the best asset class that handles inflation the best, that keeps pace with it, is with the, with it the best is real estate. So when you see these prices just shooting up and everyone's like, this makes no sense. What's going on? It's like, it's inflation, man. I'm yeah. sorry. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. Like it's not spooky econ- economics or anything like it. It's just basic economics, like inflation, it's going up. Real estate's going to keep up with that. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, those that just sit on the sidelines and wait, like I kind of feel bad for them because I mean, those prices are probably not going to be coming down. Right because the supply and demand is just such that there's there's just no way it's it's going to take a long time for us to get supply and demand equal again. Yeah. 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 All right, so we got a couple questions here. You ready? Yeah. Okay. So, got a question here coming in from Monica Asher. So, how long advance how long in advance should uh, one get pre-qualified before looking? <laughs> I would say, you know, if you're thinking about buying, the sooner the better, um, way in advance, because we can look at the whole situation um, as far as your credit. You might have stuff on your credit that you don't know that's there. That gives us a time to actually work on fixing the credit, um, you know, and then coming up with a strategy that best suits your needs as far as, you know, what kind of loan program should we be looking at? Are you going to need to save up for a down payment? Um, There's so many different factors that go into that. Uh, so the sooner that you can get pre-qualified, the better, or just talking, getting in to talk to a mortgage lender. Yep, absolutely. So got another quick question here from Monica. So she knows it's different in the lower 48. It, you know, basically it, it takes about 30 days. It um, is a little bit longer up here, Monica. Um, usually to close up here, it's going to be about 45 to 60 days. And that that's just kind of a ballpark average. I my all-time record fastest offer made to closing table was 11 days. Oh, look, at you go. <laughs> look at you go. We obviously weren't on the same transaction. We both don't have the same record. Um, but yeah, it was 11 days, but the longest I've ever had it take, I think it's the one I'm in right now. And it's, um, I think we put it under contract in January and hopefully we're going to close in a couple weeks here. Fingers crossed. <laughs> So yeah, usually it's going to take about that, um, about 45 to 60 days. Mm-hmm. All right. So we did also have a question um, that came in from Sean. Uh, let me see if I can actually pull this up here. And this is a question that came in earlier, just in the, the community section on the YouTube channel. So his question was, I would like to ask about how the VAI Earl refinancing works and if it can currently give you a better rate than market. So um, this sounds like a lot of witchcraft to me, so I'll let you do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, for the VA, uh, for most of you, if you're not sure, the um, interest rate reduction refinance loan is a mouthful, so they call it EARL for short. Um, but uh, that one right now, I mean, it really depends on where your current interest rate is. And if you're refinancing now, if the rate's higher, it's, that's not going to make any sense for you. Um, with the EARLs, you do have to show that you're 
um, at least breaking even and it's better it's a better fit for you within 36 months of closing in that loan so um, in I would say for people that are have locked in in rate interest rates that are higher now maybe the end of this year beginning into 2024 if we see rates coming down that's when I would say hey mm. now it's time to do an Earl gotcha so is it something where you would feel confident enough to where it's kind of make or break if you get that lower interest rate. Like I've not really done anything with, with Earl's before. So, so the Earl is literally designed just to get a lower interest rate. Okay. That's why it's in that. Yeah. So um, if they're not getting a lower interest rate, there's no reason for them to be doing that. Gotcha. Okay. So it, it's strictly like refinancing and it's within like 36 months of having closed that they have to recoup that cost. Oh, got yeah. it. Okay. Yeah. Um, so uh, that's just one, or, I mean, one thing that when we're looking at those that um, just making sure that one, they're getting the lower interest rate and then the cost isn't, you know, exceeding a certain period of time for them. Um, but right now for somebody, if they came to me, it would be really hard pressed to say, yeah, an Earl is, going to benefit unless you have like, you know, a 9% interest rate. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, okay, correct me if I'm wrong, but once we start going into this market where you're the house prices, those are all going to like probably, well, not probably predictably, they're probably going to stay about the same. Theoretically, we'll say that approach everything like it's science and this is a theory and theoretically, home prices are probably going to stay pretty stable, but you're probably going to start feeling a lot of um, angst and anxiety from people inside the industry because the number of properties actually selling is just taking a cut year over year. Mm -hmm. So for people that were kind of getting by before, like it's kind of the natural cycle, they kind of get washed out every three, four five years once we kind of go through one of these cycles. So you're probably going to start like feeling a lot of um, anxiety from a lot of the folks that you're working with in the industry. That's not, not necessarily a sign that the market's like about um, about to necessarily tank or anything. And uh, I totally forgot where I was going with that. So <laughs> we'll put a pin in that and yeah. we will circle back to it later. Yeah. <laughs> so we do have a question coming in here from LinkedIn. So I've been self-employed for ages and both my wife and I are getting jobs over here, having troubles getting a home loan. And how do we, um, yeah, how long do we need to be employed for our W-2s to count? Okay. So they're self-employed now? Yep. Okay. Um, oh, so I'm sorry. Okay. Been employed, self-employed for ages, and both my wife and I um, are now getting jobs over having, um, after having troubles getting a home loan put it that way. Mm, okay. So no longer self-employed W-2 wages. Um, if it's in the same line of work or we can tie that together, I mean, we could look at using that income now. Um, with self-employed um, income, there are some portfolio loans out there. And for those of you who don't know what a portfolio loan is, it's essentially it's where it's not conforming. It's not going to an investor. The banks are holding on to this. This is something that they would design um, and give out to the public which is, um, you know, uh, one of the ones that have come back is bank statement loans. And that that's huge for self-employed um, borrowers who maybe have 
too many write-offs or they're on paper, it doesn't look like they've made money, but they know that they make money. And so they can provide um, 12 months or 24 months worth of bank statements and actually get qualified using that income. Yeah. I mean, that that's such a Achilles heel for them, self-employed folks that are yeah, trying to trying to save some money yeah. on tax season. And it comes back to bite you in a big way. I know. I mean, yeah. Nobody wants to pay Uncle Sam. No, Let's they don't. <laughs> um, I mean, especially those of you like in the service industry who get a lot of tips. Um, I'm not going to call people out, but I know some of you in the industry not claiming all your tips because that, that saves you a lot in taxes. But that comes yeah. back to bite you when you're trying to buy a house because yeah. you can't use that income to, to qualify at that point. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you all for hanging with me. I remember what my point was before. So let's let's circle back to that. Yeah. Um, you're going to start seeing a lot of like really creative marketing, a lot of really creative um, financing ideas out there probably as we're moving forward. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I really think like uh, let's see, like assumable VA loans. Like I've seen those like really come back and everyone's looking at those. Like those are like the, the thing that's really going to make the difference for some folks. Um, can you talk about like how something like a VA assumable loan might not necessarily work in every case? Because I mean, I've run into this multiple times. Yep. <laughs> Um, so for the VA assumable loans, they're, I mean, pretty straightforward. However, they can have some of those caveats in them. If you have a service member um, trying to sell their home as an assumable loan, um, to keep the math simple, let's say that they are owe $400,000 on their home, but they're selling the house for $500,000. The person that comes in to assume that loan is only going to assume the property for that $400,000, and they're going to have to come up with that difference of that $100,000, a different type of financing that's not going to be a traditional mortgage. Um, whether that's you have cash on hand, whether that you know you um, take out a, a personal loan, something like that. Um, so just keeping that in mind. The other thing is, is if you have um, a service member who's you know selling their house as an assumable loan and a non-service member is assuming that property, that service member has to understand that that is going to stay on their entitlement mm. until that person that assumed the property either sells it or refinances. So they have to be okay with um, that remaining on their entitlement, even though they've given it to somebody else because right. it, they don't have entitlement for it to transfer to. That, that certainly does make sense. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I say that point and kind of point that out just to say that you're probably going to be seeing like a lot of really, you know, uh, silver bullet things like that, where it sounds great. Hey, I can step in, I can get this interest rate where they paid for it like back in 2020 and now it's like 3% and that's awesome. Maybe yes, maybe no. Like actually talk with the people who kind of know the ins and outs and the numbers to see if it actually makes sense. Yeah. And you're dealing with that that seller's servicer. You're not going through like your lender to do that. You're dealing with the servicer mm -hmm. and those are like we see them fall apart more often than not. And they can take, you know, over 120 days just to close. Yeah. Because I mean, think about it. If you're the, the person holding that note, like they have zero loyalty to you whatsoever. I mean, they're getting paid one way or the other. Right. So there's to them, it's almost like a courtesy kind of a thing. So it's 
you know, zero motivation for them to, to move on and quick. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you're going to see more of that probably moving forward. Um, but yeah, just, just be looking for that stuff and kind of buyer beware. Yes. All right. Let's see here. Got a quick comment from Monica. So also how long does one's pre-qualification last? So you're looking at 120 days. And a lot of times when people do get pre-qualified, um, I can speak on our team's behalf is just, you know, it's it's either updating credit or getting updated pay stubs. It's really easy for us to update that pre-qualification. As long as we know nothing major has changed, you haven't gone out and got that boat loan or anything like that, then you're good. So Don't buy Amanda's boat and you'll be okay. Yeah, <laughs> when you're trying to get a mortgage. <laughs> oh, wouldn't that be awful? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've seen that with mostly cars, though. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I get it. I mean, not just so I think it can mess you up, not just on uh, if you're like paying credit or I'm sorry, if you're like getting a um, uh, getting a loan for the car. But I, I think it can mess you up, too. Like if you even if you're just paying cash. Is that the, correct? Or um, not if you're if you're purchasing a vehicle with cash. Yeah, that can mess you up as if you need that cash to close. Mm, got um. it. <laughs> So, so as long as you're not, okay, I, I get it. I get it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Outstanding. All right. So quick uh, comment here from Caden. So Earl has to be within 36 months of original closing. Good to know. Anytime, Caden. Got your back, my friend. Okay. So great questions, guys. Um, do keep them coming in here. We're going to go ahead and keep moving with some of our um scheduled programming and um but yeah definitely do keep those questions coming in we want to make sure that this is um set up so it actually serves and answers your questions mm -hmm. so let's go ahead and move on okay so when is it a wise idea for someone to actually kind of pump the brakes a little bit when it comes to buying a home so what are what are some some times where it's probably not a bad idea just to rent for a little bit. I would say when people come to me um, and, you know, maybe they're super motivated and I get really excited because I love motivated buyers, um, especially first time home buyers. Uh, but if maybe their credit isn't up to, up to par, um, I might have them give them a little bit of homework, um, like a little checklist to do list to work on their credit and get it up to where it needs to be one um, because if it's going to help them when it comes time to purchasing a home uh, getting them the best interest rate available to them um, and two one you know a lot of them that i do see that might need to kind of pump the brakes a little bit is um, they don't quite have the savings saved up yet and i i have like a program in mind for that but um, the third one is is mostly going to be people that are um, don't really have the job history or they're in between jobs that maybe aren't in line with what they did previously. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe they were, um, let's just say a cocktail waitress and now they're, you know, working for the airlines as a flight attendant. Um, it's going to be really hard to kind of piece a lot of those things together. The pay is completely different. So I would say, Hey, let's kind of pump the brakes. Wait, you know, a lot of times like FHA wants to see six months of those kind of job changes. Um, and just making sure we're piecing it together instead of just, you know, trying to crumple it all together, throw it at the wall and see if it sticks and see, you know, because that's a nightmare for everybody, too. <laughs> right. Um, how does it work with seasonal jobs? 
because I mean that that's something. I mean it's Alaska. Alaska. <laughs> a lot of people are seasonal up yes. here. I yeah. mean I've I've had entire deals fall apart because they got themselves pre-qualified. Like I was working with the sellers, so not my buyers, but working with them and they got themselves completely pre-qualified off of this really high income during the summer. But the catch was that it was only a job good for like three months out of the year. And then they took that and calculated it out as though that was the income for the year, for the entire yeah. year, every month. Yeah. And so a lot of times when people have that, they want to see um, a history of it. So typically it's two years that they want to see if they're working, let's say three months out of the year where they're making a, a high amount and they will look at that average. Um, for somebody who's like on the slope, sometimes we can get away with one year, um, but it really depends on their specific situation and what it looks like. If the income is a little bit, um, you know, variable, uh, it's just, it really, we have to look at it and just make sure that we're setting it up correctly the way underwriters are going to look at it because once it get, gets in their hands, um, we want to make sure that we're painting a clear picture so they don't have any rabbit holes to go down to. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So. All right. So we do have a question coming in here from Kaden. So does have a question. Is it a good idea to pay more than just the base amount towards the loan per month? Or for example, when tax returns come in, does it make sense in the long run, put a large amount towards the loan all at once. So yeah, a little bit at a time or one big lump sum. For the, the down payment? Well, it sounds like for the, um, let me pull this up here, base amount toward the loan, uh, towards the loan per month. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. So um, if you're looking at trying to put a chunk towards, I mean, every, every month that you put it, you just want to make sure that you're telling your servicer that it's to go towards principal. Um, that's the big key right there. Just because a lot of times they make it a little bit complicated when you're paying extra, they might put it in months forward, like payments mm -hmm. ahead. Um, nobody ever wants to pay towards interest. So just make sure if that's the case where you're putting extra um, payments monthly, I would just make sure you're telling your servicer that you're putting it towards principal. And, you know, depending on if you're doing it in a lump sum or once a month, um, as long as it's going to principal, it's just going to help you in the long run. So. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, especially Kaden, when you guys are in kind of that, that first couple months or so of that loan, like it's, primarily interest. So, I mean, if you can jump on top of that and just leapfrog ahead, mm -hmm. like it, it's going to do a lot of good things for you. Oh yeah. All right. What are, yeah. What are some great things about this market that no one's really talking about? I mean, everyone's got their doom and gloom, but what are some great things? So um, a couple of really exciting things and uh, that have come out this year is um, for FHA, they have lowered their mortgage insurance premiums. Um, which was really exciting because it, it's saving people lots of money and also helping them get into um, a higher amount of, of what they would actually qualify with that reduced mortgage insurance premium. Um, you know, FHA, just keep in mind that mortgage insurance premium is for the life of the loan if you're putting 10% or less than 10% down. Um, and I mean, it's a great loan program. The other one is VA is also, they've reduced their um, funding fee and um, with that, I mean, for most veterans, if you're, you know, not exempt from the funding fee, that's what's getting financed into the loan amount. Um, 
And how much usually is the funding fee for? Um, so it went up and then it came back down, but it was 3.6% for subsequent uses. So right. meaning somebody who's using it more than who's already used it and they're using it again. Um, and then. So like if they're getting a second property or their benefits are tied up or like they bought one house in station one, they're going to station two, they sold it. Number one, they're going to number two though. And it's just going to be higher at the new place, even though their benefits aren't tied up with another property. Yeah. So anytime, okay. um, anytime the first use that they very first use their VA loan, um, that's, that's dropped down to 2.15%. And that's going to be fun, basically financed into the loan amount. Um, and anytime you use it another time, a subsequent use, it's going to be that, that higher percentage. Gotcha. So, okay. That 3.3%. Um, if they do put 5% down, that's going to reduce the VA funding fee or 10% down. So that's always something that I like to talk to people about that are looking at that subsequent use, if they have that down payment to show them what it's actually going to save them. But if they're exempt from the VA funding fee, they don't have to worry about it at all. So. Yeah. Outstanding. Um, yeah. All right. Well, I mean, that, that all sounds like good stuff. Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, I, one of the things that I would definitely, um, I mean, rates are definitely lower over, um, you know, when you're looking at the 52 week high and they're going to continue hopefully to keep coming down. Um, oh, the, the other really positive thing is the new CAMI program that has come out, which is, um, for the people that have who would qualify for Freddie Mac or Fannie Mae um, Home Possible, Home Ready, which is a loan program out there. It's a conventional conforming loan program where it allows somebody to come in with, let's say, 3%. Um, they do have income limits. So they've also extended it to somebody who would look at doing a conforming conventional loan program. Um, basically, that would go to the higher median price of the 111 um, allowing them to still kind of get in there and qualify for those, those lower loan level pricing adjustments and mortgage insurance for the loan program. Gotcha. So that's, that's also exciting for people that are maybe looking at more of a conventional type loan program. And it just, again, depends on if it's a good fit for them in their situation. Yeah, so. absolutely. Um, what about, um, so we talked a little bit about before about the the RD loans, mm -hmm. like is that um, have we seen some changes in that recently as well? Or for the USD for Alaska, the the um, I think it's still the one twenty two okay. for for a family up to four. Gotcha. Um, and that's you know for anybody who's looking at using that zero down loan program. Um, you do have to qualify with their income limits. Even if you have a spouse that's working, that's not on the loan program or on the loan, their income will go to help like the calculations to almost disqualify you for that loan program. Um, we do have a lender that we're working with right now, which was, a, um, they came out with an exciting new product. Um, this is for conventional loans where it's basically a down payment assistance program. So they're offering 4% of the sales price um, to be utilized for the down payment. Um, so let's say for that home possible home ready loan program, if you qualify for that, you essentially could get in the home at zero down and then one, an extra percent would go towards your closing costs. 
because they give you a total of 4%. Right. Or let's say in, if you're in that higher median and you have to put 5% down, you could essentially get in the home with 1% down. So, I mean, it's, it's a pretty, it's a pretty cool down payment assistance program. And it's like a, a second. So you, it's like interest only, you do have to pay it back, but it's definitely an option for people out there that might not have that down payment saved up, or maybe they do have um, the down payment, but if they use it for their down payment, it might deplete their whole entire savings and it might be better to utilize that kind of a program so they have something squirreled away. Right, right. So we do have a question in here. I was going to ask a couple questions about that, but we do have a question coming in here from LinkedIn. So would you briefly walk us through applying for Section 184? Um, who should we talk to about pursuing that? So for um, the 184, we I actually know some really amazing lenders that offer that kind of at our um, at first rate. We actually don't do HUD 184 loans, um, but there are some amazing lenders out there that I do talk to and I, I work with them and I would pass that off to them. Um, but that's that's definitely a really good program out there for those that qualify. Um, for the HUD 184 program, it's two and a half percent down. I know enough a little bit to be dangerous, but um, it's definitely not my wheelhouse. <laughs> no, fair enough. Fair enough. So let's see, if you were a consumer, what are some things you'd be very wary of, like in this environment moving forward? I mean, you know, just keep it in mind, there's no such thing as having the crystal ball and knowing everything that's going on. Um, right. So what are some things, though, you would, if you were a consumer on the other side, that you would still be kind of wary of? I would be very careful with, um, you know, choosing the right team that you want on your, um, beside you, going through one of the largest purchases that you're going to make in your lifetime. Um, you know, making sure you're not getting taken advantage of from predatory lenders out there. Uh, when inventory is low, and I would say, um, just we're seeing people struggling in our industry because, you know, it's a, a commission paid mm -hmm. environment. Mm -hmm. um, you're going to see people maybe moving too fast or like I said earlier, they're going to they're going to try to take as much as they can, throw it at the wall and see what sticks. And that's never a good feeling for anybody right. in that process, because now um, you're getting ghosted by the person that you were trying to t trust with your finances or on either side of that. Um, so just making sure that when you are working with um, a lender or, you know, a real estate agent, like you're, you have full confidence in your team that they're going to have your back and fully walk you through step-by-step step the full process and the ins and outs. And if they say, I don't think we can do this, um, it doesn't necessarily mean that another lender wouldn't. You just be cautious going in. Why ask the questions? Why? Why can't we do this? Is this um, an investor guideline? Is mm -hmm. this a lender overlay? There's differences in that term. Why is there a 2% interest like difference like APR here? Why is it so drastically different? Yeah. yeah. Ask the questions. Yeah. Because I mean, as soon as, I mean, for me, if I see that, like I've got so many red flags going off, mm -hmm. so many red lights going off at that point. Like there's Something's not quite right. Something wasn't calculated. So, yeah, yeah, that's that's definitely a big one. Um, I'll also say, um, and I'm going to say this once, and then I'm going to let you guys do what you want to do because everyone gets really weird every time I start talking about this. But 
by all means, if you're moving to Alaska, use a lender here in Alaska. You know, if you use some big out-of-state mortgage company that's um, um, saying it's going to get to where you want to go as fast as a rocket, I'll let you try to decide which company I'm talking about. But um, the issue you're going to run into with a lot of those folks is um, the local mortgage brokers, the local lenders here, they have reputations. And guess what? These big companies, they also have reputations and they're usually not particularly good. We can get deals to close and you know we do manage to make it happen, but usually it's in spite of like that, that out of state lender, just because they usually have completely different guidelines and oversight and layer upon layer upon layer of bureaucracy that we have to try to pierce in order to make anything happen. And if you are a seller and you've got an offer that comes in, it's from one of these big out of state lenders. That's just a, a big question mark and it's kind of some liability. And it's like, I, I don't know, are we going to get like the easy process here or are we going to get shelved somewhere and forgotten about? And it's going to take us like an additional couple of weeks to a month to actually close. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we have people we work with here. You don't have to use them. I, I use these folks though here when I'm buying here in the area. And I mean, I here in the industry myself. So, I mean, I like to say I'm a pretty good judge as to what's going to put me in the best position to win. So um, just, just be really cautious of all these big ads you're going to see running and just know that a lot of these interest rates that you see out there saying, oh, you're going to get 2% interest rate. Mm. Yeah. Um, if you, if you get that little feeling in the pit of your stomach, like something's not quite right. It's too good to be true. Too good to be true. <laughs> like, you know, run little bunny there's a there's a predator out yeah. <laughs> so I say that's the biggest one is people flashing those interest rates and people are they get confused and then you get to the closing table and they're like wait a minute why is there you know ten thousand dollars of fees for this rate on here um and i would say you know definitely going local i'm a big firm believer in supporting local at first rate financial, um, every loan that we close, we have a foundation that we put back into um, this foundation, the first rate foundation. And we've been actually, the numbers came in, we've been able to give over $400,000 back to our community. And that's really exciting for us when we do that. I mean, it's not just throwing money here and there, we're actually impacting like people within our community. Right. I mean, it's, it is completely different when you're, yeah, when you're actually having an impact on your neighborhoods and like you can actually meet people who've actually been like impacted by, by your donations and everything. So, I mean, that's, that's absolutely huge. Yeah. So got another question coming in here from Seattle crime gal. So one thing to remember, it is okay to rent home ownership should be a blessing, not a burden. So yeah, I, could not agree more. Yeah. And uh, I mean, there's definitely a time to rent and there's definitely a time to, to just, it's time to go, to go buy a house. And then there's other times to just pump the brakes. And, uh, you know, as Amanda mentioned before, really, if you're in a spot where like your, your credit interest, um, yeah, your credit score is not very good. You don't have a whole lot of reserves. You know, it's not a bad idea just to, just to kind of wait for a little bit and let those, you kind of intentionally build those up 
I feel like I'm kind of rambling right now, but yeah, yeah, it's... the uh, the main thing though to keep in mind is that okay, we are intentionally waiting because we're trying to get this specific thing done. We're not waiting because we expect the market to collapse or suddenly interest rates are going to collapse down to, to where they were before. We're jumping in and we're taking care, taking control of the stuff we can actually control, like our, you know, the savings, our credit score, making sure um, our bills are paid on time. If it's necessary, cut up your credit cards, do whatever you got to do to make sure that you are in a position to actually win. I mean, the best way, best phrase I've heard about this lately that kind of describes it. The difference between renting and buying is that once you own that property, the mortgage is the least you're ever gonna pay because then you have to add like all the, the, in, all the insurance, the, the maintenance, the yard stuff, which by the way, I have bought so much like fertilizer and all that. I'm pretty sure I'm on a list somewhere right now. If I, if I go buy a cell phone somewhere, I'm pretty sure I'm gonna get tackled. Um, but yeah, that's, that's saying that is the most least you're going to pay as a mortgage, but that rent, that's the most you're ever going to pay because, you know, the landlord's going to come in and fix stuff and, and take care of all the rest of it. So yes, there's definitely a time and a place for, for renting and there's a time and a place for purchasing. Really the best thing you can do is kind of speak with a loan officer and try to help you figure out what season that you're in and how you can put yourself in a position to where you can get to where you want to be. Yeah. Yep. All right, folks. Well, this is kind of your, your final call here. We're going to work through a couple more questions and then you know finish off with any other questions, concerns, objections, anything like that you have. So this is kind of your, your final call and we'll circle back to them in just a minute. All right. What are some things that buyers can control? Because I mean, lately we've heard about all the stuff that they can't control. Oh, inflation's going crazy. Administration's doing this. So and so's doing this. Yeah. But what are the things that are the most impactful that buyers do control? I would say definitely um, making a list. That way when you know exactly where every single dime that you're you're basically putting out there is going to every single dime that you've earned you know where it's going um you might find that within your spending when you're tracking that um you can cut back in some certain areas and then know how much you're saving out of each check that's another big one that i talk to people about um when you're able to say that i'm going to put you know, 15, 10, 15%, um, 20% if you can into a savings account that you know you're not going to touch, you can budget for how much you, you're going to anticipate saving over a long period of time. And then, um, you know, just making sure that you're paying your bills on time, um, that you're not missing any payments, and that you're able to um, really come together in a whole in that situation as far as saving, watching your credit, um, those types of things to really help when it comes to purchasing a home. Those are going to be the big ticket items that we're going to be looking at and things that I can come up with a game plan. I've worked with people as far as like budgets before um, where they don't even know where to start, but those are some of the great, great places to start for sure. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, really the thing too, 
is to really kind of just take ownership. Like you kind of mentioned like the budgeting, the, the targeting, like paying down everything. Really, it's just taking ownership of all that stuff and not just letting yourself become like a victim of whatever headline is out there. Which, I mean, as soon as you start getting that that sense of despair, like really about anything, it doesn't really matter what side of the aisle you're on. As soon as you get that sense of despair, it's usually a good idea to just turn your Wi-Fi off and just walk away for a little bit. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Put the blinders on, focus on what you're trying to accomplish. And just, I mean, everything else, it's going to happen. You have no control of what's happening outside. We just got to continue to live our life. <laughs> Exactly. I mean, probably, um, probably not only that, but, you know, also give Amanda a call. That's going to be a good place to go. All right. So we've got just a couple more questions here. And this is really just kind of giving you the chance to um, um, say anything maybe we missed or maybe we should have gone over that, that I, I just don't know. I should have asked it. So, you know, what, is there anything else that you feel like we should talk about that people should be aware of? I feel like we touched on pretty much everything that we, we were anticipating to talk about. Um, it's just knowing that there are options out there. There's so many different options out there for everybody's different situations. So, um, and when you're working with the right loan officer, they're going to take the time and energy to actually work with you and come alongside you to show you exactly where you need to be um, and in the direction and help you come up with a map um, to follow if if maybe you're not ready right then. So, yep. Words of wisdom. All right, folks. Well, uh, we've got one more more comment here. And uh, yeah, this is a good way to end. Okay, so you're in Alaska, so I was wondering, does a bear really take um, you know something over in the woods? Um, yeah, it does. I uh, <laughs> I clean it up quite frequently, honestly. Which, actually, now that you mention it, it makes a lot more sense. What what animal that pile of whatever came from <laughs> came from in my yard? Because I thought it was a horse, and that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Okay, I think I've got a little friend. I need to. I need to be worried about. Okay. <laughs> could be a moose too. It could be a it could be a moose. It could be a moose. No, that was definitely not a moose. Like big old pfft. no. <laughs> not a moose. Not a moose. I need to I need to be careful of that. All right. Well, folks, um, again, thank you very much for for attending on to our live stream here. Um, it certainly was a pleasure. If you'd like to see more of these kind of in-person live streams. Uh, where we're getting the chance to kind of interact, um, not just like on a giant Zoom call, then, you know, certainly make sure, make sure that you, um, you know, like this, make sure you comment. And if you do have any questions or concerns about what it looks like with um, getting yourself set up for a loan, I mean, Amanda, what's going to be a good place for people to go? Um, if you, of course, my, my cell phone, mm -hmm. you can always text or call me. Uh, 907-441-6223, or um, I do have a website as well, um, amanda-akhomeloans.com, so. Okay, outstanding. Yeah. Well, again, thank you very much. And everyone else, have a good night. Good night.